Today's episode of Operation Tango Romeo is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, the Vancouver Island Works Project. Vancouver Island Works Project. They are providing us at Operation Tango Romeo with a premium website. They're building it for us, populating it. They're looking after everything that I don't know how to do. If you are looking for a website for yourself, please check out the Vancouver Island Works Project, viwproject.com. That's Victor India Whiskey Project.com. Now, they do a lot more than just websites. They do a whole bunch. Please check out their services on the service tab on their website at viwproject.com. Accounting, bookkeeping, uh, Microsoft and Adobe training, social media management, you name it. Now, the website is that they're building for us is just under construction right now. It'll be up and running probably in a few weeks. There'll be a big announcement about that. But VancouverIslandWorksProject.com is supporting Tango Romeo. Thank you for that. Thank you, Manny Mandrusiak, who I served with. And please check them out, man. Check them out. Get a premium website for yourself. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible, with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling. Today on the show, we are filling a gap, a gap that I know is there. I know that this is a podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families, and the family part is just not getting enough coverage. I know, I know, 43 episodes, and it is a glaring omission. So we're going to try to remedy that today a little bit. Lisa Sabatini, thank you so much for being on here. Thanks for having me, Mark. Happy to be here. Well, I tell you, it's uh, it's got me all happy because I'm filling <laughs> a gap and you're helping me do that. So Lisa, you and I connected on Facebook because of some comments that were made on a family page, a family Facebook page. What's the name of that? Tell me about that. Yeah, so it's um, a Facebook page for... Um, spouses and family members of um, Canadian veterans with PTSD. And uh, I created the page hmm, several years ago now. Um, I was um, a spouse, a military spouse and veteran spouse. Um, And my uh, spouse at the time was, was still in the military and he was um, diagnosed with PTSD and um, massive depressive disorder and um, a whole long list of things. And um, I was not sure where to turn or who to talk to as a spouse with this going on with him. And I was wondering what are all the other spouses doing? And I just really felt the need to connect with um, 
other spouses who were going through similar um, similar situations in the family um, and looking for resources and just trying to understand. I came from a, a journalism background. My general drive is research and uh, and communication. So I just um, I, I wanted to create a page where uh, we could connect and also share resources. Of those resources, Lisa, uh, what has been the most helpful, your top couple or three? Um, well, uh, speaking with other spouses was very um, helpful in terms of just trying to understand um, how other people were feeling, because I, I I wasn't even sure how I was feeling myself in terms of um you know, what did it mean? What does, what does this mean? What's an OSI? OS, they weren't really using OSI yet at the time. Right. Uh, occupational stress injury. So they were, you know, they, they threw out um, words like, and acronyms like PTSD and um, several other things. And I just, um, so I had, I started researching um, in terms of resources. It was really hard to find resources. Um, through the military and uh, at that time. It's changed quite a bit since then and it's still changing, but um, resources were hard to find. So I wanted to reach out to see what other spouses were doing. And I, I did get connected with um, the MFRC, the Military Family Resource Center, which um, was helpful. The Legion was helpful. Um, and, so what sort of uh, um, help did uh, the MFRC and the Legion, like what are the different modalities of help that they were able to provide? And, and the other one was the um, was Veterans Affairs to a certain degree. But um, with the MFRC, um, there were different um, opportunities for me to gather with other family members, uh, other spouses. and. Um, um, ask questions, ask for resources. So I was directed to some uh, different online online options. And um, just more, more in terms of um, socially connecting and asking questions and just kind of um, feeling a little more connected. The MFRC was very helpful for that. Um, the, um, I did find some other Facebook pages that were really helpful. Um, and then with the, with the Legion was really helpful in, so when my spouse uh, was, he was leaving the military, um, the, the level of stress just in that transition was, the stress levels were already very high for both of us in terms of what that would look like. Uh, leaving the military and what that would mean for income and um, what our lives would be like um, after leaving the military um, for him. So um, the the stress levels were very high for both of us. And so what was helpful with the Legion, this is, we didn't actually reach out to them a lot, but what did initially help was just getting things rolling with the transition um, and the paperwork, because the paperwork was immense. And um, it took a really long time to get a caseworker 
through Veterans Affairs. And then we'd have a caseworker and then it would change and then have a caseworker and then it would change. And um, that was really difficult to manage. And uh, he wasn't able to retain any information, especially reading and paperwork, just with the nature of his injury and the stress levels. Stress levels for anyone is difficult to retain information. So um, the Legion was really helpful with that, with getting kind of that, that rolling until we had a veterans affairs caseworker and things started to get a little more solidified in that regard. Um, and also, and just uh, once we, we were with a caseworker, just in terms of as a spouse, you know, um, we, we started seeing, um, couples counseling and he was doing counseling on his own. And then I didn't realize until some, uh, another spouse told me that, um, that counseling for me was also available and also important. So uh, oftentimes as spouses, we don't think about that part that we also need support. And a lot don't know that that's available as well. That's right. Yeah. And so um, it's it's very, very important. So a lot of the times, even through that Facebook page with other spouses, look at private messages of um, of uh, from from spouses who just don't know where to turn or what to do or how to manage what's going on in the family or with their spouse. And we just forget that there's resources for us. And so OSIS was another um, helpful, um, helpful uh, in that way, especially, especially now I do work, um, a lot more closely with OSIS now in terms of, um, kind of referring people who reach out and spouses who reach out, who are in need of support to OSIS. And OSIS is operational stress, injury, social support, isn't it? That's right. Yes. O-S-I-S-S. I think yes. that uh, the link to that is on CAF Connection. That's cafconnection.ca, I believe, is where the link is. That's also where the link is for MFRC. Both those are found on the CAF Connection website. Yes, and they were both very helpful. So, um, and it, the MFRC even had me um, speak at, at one of the events in terms of um, speaking about what it's like to live with, with someone with an OSI. And at that talk, um, it was a Women's Day talk through the MFRC. The room was filled with um, spouses, veterans, members. Um, and at that time, it was several years ago, it was, um, they were a little bit, you know, it was a little bit of a touchy subject for me to get up and talk about that. Absolutely. I, I think I think things are much more open now, but it that the topic and just the the nature of it it triggers a lot of things. It triggers things for people, um, you know, mentally and emotionally um, when we're talking about that subject and what it's like to live with someone with an OSI. And and part of what I talked about was this kind of bless you. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't, can't believe you heard that. I, I turned the uh, microphone right down. So um, the, 
you know, living with what happens with um, living with that kind of stress that um, it brings to everyone in the family, but also as a spouse that kind of, for me, um, what I noticed um, was this idea of what's often called secondary SD um, or secondary uh, trauma. And okay. what I started to notice was because I was so aware of what his triggers were specifically to, you know, things like loud noises, um, uh, specific sounds, um, different, um, you know, dr um, driving. And if there's uh, something on the side of the road or things like that. So specific things specific to him and everyone has specific um, can be triggered by different things, but I became very aware of them and I became hypersensitive to, um, and also hypervigilant where he would as well, because I was looking for those things so I could intercept before they got to him. Right. And so I started noticing that I was being triggered by those things, even when he wasn't around. Um, not to the degree where he would he would be, but that it was it was affecting me in in many ways. Triggers were and actually I, was, contagious. In a way, you know, in a way that they they were because as caretakers, we 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 become sensitive to those things. We can not necessarily always do, but we can because we're when you're aware of things that. Um, trigger a loved one, you become aware of those things, you know? Um, so there was a lot of different aspects of that. And, and even just, you know, bringing that into awareness that sometimes we don't even notice that's happening. And, and so uh, it becomes, it can become compounded between, you know, between in the relationship, it can become compounded in terms of communication and then when both people are triggered by different stressors communication becomes very difficult it sounds so, like uh, self-awareness through education has also been very helpful for you the more self-aware that you are the more situational aware you are and uh, it, it just helps you understand what's going on which is in itself healing if if i'm hearing you right very much so yeah uh, oh self-awareness and is so important it's so important for everyone but especially in in these circumstances so that we um we don't go on to this autopilot and just react 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 to everything that we we can choose to respond in certain ways and that's a huge difference and so um for me um my stress levels became uh so high that uh, that I, I was starting to have like some extreme anxiety and it was getting, my body was starting to have health issues from the stress. And I remember going to um, a therapist and so, and you know, saying, the, explaining what was going on and finding the right ones who can understand, even, you know, understand um, a little bit about military and trauma and 
not necessarily military and trauma together, but either of those things. Um, and I remember her asking me, okay, well, what do you do um, to relax? You know, what do you do in your downtime, uh, quiet time? And at that time, I was jamming all of my time into work because I didn't know how things were going to go with um, after he transitioned out of the military and all these things. So I was like trying to build a business for both of us. And on top of just just my solution <laughs> to the stress was just to pile on more stuff and really try to motor through everything. You know, it really lit a fire under my butt. So, um, but, you know, and I'm somebody who can handle a lot of stress and just stay in the red zone, but just, you know, staying in the red, like full throttle like that, just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Right. Eventually things break down and my health completely broke down. And she asked me, well, what, what do you do? And I was saying, oh yeah. So, uh, in my downtime, I will do things like yoga and read. And she's like, oh, those are really great. Except I was doing power yoga and I was reading business books. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there, that wasn't downtime. That was still work and it was still adrenaline filled. So my nervous system became shot. It just, uh, I was in full fight or flight. Um, you know, mode, my, my nervous system was completely shot. And then my health failed, like severely failed. I ended up in the hospital, um, with uh, my immune system was, uh, failing. I had, I had paralysis and, um, my, all of my, uh, um, my immune system was all, uh, autoimmune things started happening. So that's this immune system attacking itself, attacking healthy tissue. Um, and my body was shutting down and Lyme disease take over my body. All of these things were happening. And I remember laying in the hospital paralyzed thinking, how did this happen? How did this happen like this? <laughs> I was a really, you know, a very healthy person fairly athletic even I did a lot of martial arts I did you know a lot of things but um that you know when stress levels get to that stage it can just completely take out our health and um it's incredible the effect stress can have on the body it really is it's uh it's really something else so I you know when we're talking about awareness um I had to begin at like you know, less than zero, <laughs> it was in the minus where it was like, okay, here's where we need to take a break and take a breath, take a pause in this moment, because I was just always um, just on autopilot flying through things. And so I would let the dog out in the morning. And just in that time, to just take a moment while the dog was outside, to take a breath, look around me, look at a tree, grass, kind of check in with all of my senses. Mindfulness. Sight. Yeah, complete mindfulness. And just for 30 seconds. And at that time, it was very difficult for me to do that. Just in that one breath, that 30 seconds. 
over time, I started studying mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress reduction and um, all kinds of um, uh, things like that. So I went, you know, I started from 30 seconds, really difficult, to uh, stretching that out and really bringing in a practice um, to now where I teach meditation and I've done 10 days at a time in silent meditation. That's that is impressive. A, it's a massive change. So my mindfulness stretches out through the day now, and I'm aware of when my stress levels change. I'm aware of how I'm feeling and what I'm feeling. So I'm not reacting to things. I'm responding to things. I know when I need what, what I need and when I need it. So it's less likely that my nervous system will, um, you know, really switch it out of fight or flight into rest and digest where that's where we heal. That's and where we it, transform. It, it's so critical, Lisa, and uh, peer support. I don't know how many times I've said that. To slow down enough so that you can respond instead of react. It's easier said than done. It is not easy. It takes practice and it takes a lot of work to get yourself in a place that you're not on 10 all the time. To bring yourself down to more of a 6 so that you can take that breath and, re and, and respond. It's so difficult, but so important to work on yourself until you get to that place. It really is. It really is. And it, and it really does start with just, you know, okay, 30 seconds this morning, you know, it can start really small. It can start with just a breath, an intentional breath, and then, um, and, and it, it grows with the practice over time, it gets longer. And when we look at traumatic events, you know, um, we see this time slows. So when people think of a traumatic event, they remember details to an extreme. And it's almost like it was in slow motion. And that's because they were 100% present in that moment. That's interesting. With I never no, looked at it that way before. No distraction, a hundred percent focused on that moment. And so it stretches out, but we can do the same thing that we can do that same thing with good things in our life and stretch those moments out. So what's on one side is also on the other side. And so that's, that's, can, that's through meditation you can achieve that? Yeah, it's, it's you know, meditation or mindfulness. You know, when it, the difference really is meditation, we, we can sit. There's many different kinds of meditation. Um, so, you know, it, it's very broad. But when we're specifically talking about mindfulness, it's about in each moment, we're not thinking ahead and we're not thinking in the past. We're in this moment right now, like it's new, each one. So we're, and, and checking in with the senses is a huge part of that. So we, we, we can start with a walk and then start applying it to, you know, even doing dishes. When I talk about doing practices like this, talking about the mundane tasks that we, we kind of do mindlessly. And usually say if we're doing something like dishes, um, our mind might be thinking about the things we have to do later or how we did something earlier. I should have done this or I should do this. And it's like either ahead or behind. 
Mm-hmm. And that kind of task is perfect for retraining the brain, re, you know, making those neural pathways where we're engaging in what we're doing in the moment. When a person first so that, jo- first joins the military and they go into basic training, the everybody remembers the, getting on the bus the first time because of how insanely stressful it is. And I think one of the tools that whether they meant to do it for those reasons or not, it works for stress management is they get you to polish your boots to a high, high degree. It's ex- an extremely meditative and mindful thing when you're polishing your boots. They have you ironing your shirts and such pr- and lining them up just ultra perfect so all the seams line up and you you can't be thinking about anything but what you're doing when you're doing that because it's to such a level of per- perfection and I, I i do find it's actually really cathartic doing any of those things ironing and um and, and when you slow down to focus on something like that and yet in today's society it's just go 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 the faster the easier the more convenient the better how fast can I get my coffee instead of slowing down and 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 brewing brewing it on your stovetop with uh, making yourself an americano? And I think we're cheating ourselves by not slowing down and savoring those moments instead of seeing them as hassle and looking for the fastest, quickest, easiest way. I a hundred percent agree with you. And and the funny thing is, Mark, is that we don't even know most of the time what we're rushing towards. you know like i have to hurry up and get my coffee done and then hurry up and get through my day and then hurry up and to where to what and then we miss all of the most you know the the moments in our lives where we really want to savor them because we've trained our brain to fast forward through everything you know and so instead of slowing down in like the really great moments and really being able to be present, present with the family, present with whatever it is that we're doing and really, really enjoying those moments. But also what happens when we do that is we, we, it, it slows things down. So we have that space between reaction and response. Mm -hmm. So if we're on that autopilot and rushing through everything, it's all react, react, react. But when we slow things down and we're really present, it's almost like we have that space to recognize there's something rising in my body right now. What is this feeling or something just altered how I feel and I'm aware of that. So how am I going to respond rather than just getting immediately triggered and and reacting? not necessarily the way that we would want to if we were going to choose. Right. So Lisa, this all started with the military family website or uh, Facebook page rather. Are you still working with military families? Yes. So um, I actually do um, healing work at clinics now and I work a lot with um, military and trauma, both the spouses and members and veterans. And um, I also um, have done some work with OSIS, um, working with um, spouses, uh, doing, uh, I recently did a retreat weekend. Um, so facilitating that where the spouses came um, for the weekend and um, 
we we did some uh, healing work, some talking about mindfulness and meditation, some training in that, some yoga, and um, reconnecting with nature, which I think is just very so very important in terms of um, calming stress and just kind of finding different uh, ways of of um, personally for each person best ways to to uh, work through and calm stress and different tools to take away for that. So in the, in those ways, I'm still very much working with the military and, uh, and family. What kind of feedback have you been getting from other families as far as the progress that they've been able to get? <clears throat> I think um, what I get back a lot from spouses um, is just so often that we forget to care for ourselves because, you know, we're so busy um, caring for family or, you know, family member um, that, you know, we forget. And I say, I, I, I say this all the time because we forget it. But it's the same thing as when we take a, you know, you you take a flight, you're on an airplane, and the instructions are when the air masks come down, you put the, you put it on yourself first, and then you help someone else. Why? Because if you're not breathing, you're no use to anyone. That's why. And it's the same thing when we're when you know we're caring for anyone. We need to make sure that we are getting the right amount of oxygen by putting that mask on first, making sure that we're at our best so that we can be at our best for others. Otherwise it just doesn't help anyone. And that is a, it's, it's a difficult thing for many people to accept that it sometimes feels selfish and it's really not, it's really in the best interest of everyone that we make sure we have what we need. And that's, that goes for everyone. It's a common challenge. It's something that I struggle with myself a lot actually and the horrible feel of guilt just when i go for a motorbike ride for myself and there's so many of us that do that because uh, we used to be the heroes the ones with the capes you know the ones that are rescuing others and when you're not that anymore being the one that's asking for help is tough it's tough and some people are never able to do it mm-hmm. It's one of the most important things to do, really, in terms of healing and moving forward. Absolutely. it's It can't be done by yourself. And it's funny, if military people think about it in terms of a section or a platoon, or in the States, a squad, we don't do anything on our own. Even a sniper has support, lots of support, actually, and has a spotter and all kinds of other support prior to the mission and post-mission and recovery and escape and evasion. I mean, we came from an environment where everything was a team and everybody had everybody else's back. But when we need individual help ourselves, even though we do anything for anybody else, putting our hand up and going, I need help. It's, It's so hard, but you have to do it. Absolutely. And it is very much the the team is so important. It really is. And stepping forward and saying, okay, something's not working here. 
what can we do? What's the support and how can we move forward? Lisa, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and giving back to the veteran community. I mean, you're somebody who has been injured yourself by being a spouse of a veteran and well, a serving member at the, at the time as well. And it's not easy. We have anger outbursts, uh, where we see things that other people don't see as far as hypervigilance is concerned. Our minds do not work the same as regular folk. And that makes it really difficult. You can have a really wonderful person who's injured and doesn't matter how wonderful they are, they can still be very, very difficult to live with. And the work that you're doing is supporting others, either recovering from a former spouse or living with the one that they got and making it work. Lisa, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. (laughs) 